Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. I am too. Hey, I, here's the thing that I, I just so believe. I think sometimes mothers feel like they're the most invisible people in the home. So I want you to stand up right now, if you would. If you're a mother, please stand up. We just want to honor you. And I'm going to ask you some theological questions too while you're standing. Um, no, just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, could we give it up for the mothers, please? You guys can be seated. I'll leave the questions for next time. So, hey, from my heart to yours, if you're a mother, I just want to say thank you. And just like what we just saw in the video, so much about a mother is a display of God. And there's so much benefit and beauty and glory in that. So if you're a mother, I just want you to know that sometimes you may feel invisible, but God sees and God knows and, and God hears your prayers. And you know what? Here's some things I found out about being a mother, although I'm not one. You never stop being a mother. Do you? Never. Do you ever stop being a mother? You never stop being a mother, just like you never stop being a father. But, but mothers have a special place um, and a special care. Here's another thing I, I found, too, just kind of searching about moms. Um, did you know that, that actually mom is just a nickname? Did you know this? It's not a nickname of mother. Some of you are like really smart. You're like, yeah, mother. It's not actually. It's a nickname of, of this. Mom, 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 right? It's just a nickname. So they just cut it short. And so it is a nickname in that way. Uh, here's some things I found on the internet. And I just need you mothers in the room to just verify if this is true or not. Sometimes you just get tired of babysitting your parents' grandkids. Is that true? Sometimes. Um, and and I, again, I'm not, I, I don't know that this is true, so you have to verify this as well. Uh, of that, If you want to get your kids' attention, all you have to do is look comfortable. Is that true? <laughs> just look comfortable. And, and one of, the, one of a, a mother, especially if she has little bitty kids, one of a mother's, like, earliest hobbies that they have when, when they become a mother is hiding in the bathroom so they can be alone by themselves. I'm sorry, that's not a hobby. That's a dream for moms. That's what that is. Sorry. That's actually, I, I misread that, but that's actually what it is. You know, the maternal nature of a mother is a brilliant display of mercy toward her children. And this is something I found out really early being a dad and kind of watching um, Marla with, with Austin and then Gracie, like I have, I have a completely different way of like dealing with kids than what Marla does. She's so much more the merciful side. And I'll give you an example. So if one of our kids got hurt outside and they were to come running to me, and if I was the first one they would see, they're like, I'm hurt, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. And if I looked at it, if I didn't see blood, it didn't really matter. Like, and if it looked like, the, if it looked like everything was moving and bending in the right way, it's like it really didn't matter. But here's the thing. And then if they said, dad, 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 I'm bleeding, I would look at it and be like, okay, things are a little bit more serious. But then I would look at it, and if I saw oozing, just go run it under the hose. That's all, that's all you need in that moment, right? We'll talk about whatever care you need. Now, if it's squirting, okay, that's a whole other thing. But oozing, it's like you're running under the hose. And, and here's the thing. Here's what we know about, about people who grew up with the hose. At first, you know, in warm weather, you crack it open. It may be a little bit soothing because the water is warm, but then it gets cold, and then it's just it's so good. So there you go. There's, there's some parenting tips 
um, in a series called Switch, right? It has nothing to do with parenting. So here's the thing, but I do just want to extend my, my love and appreciation to you mothers. I value what you do. And just like what Garrett said, and he so brilliantly said, Mother's Day is, is a day that, that maybe you're, you remember your own mother. My mother passed away years ago, so I, it, it has a special place to me where it's, it, I, I feel conflicted at Mother's Day because I want to, to, to think about my own mother who's not here, and yet I also want to honor the, the mother of my children and all of you mothers as well. So we, um, as some of you know, if you've been here, been whether in the seats or just tuning in online, We've been in a series called what? Somebody tell me. We made it easy. It's on the screen, right? It's called Switch. And what we're talking about is taking people who feel otherwise invisible and making them feel visible. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to begin the sermon with this. I want to begin the sermon with a story from a man of God by the name of Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a preeminent author, a prominent author, excuse me, author, speaker, man of God, did some incredible things. He was also someone who would do lectures at Harvard. He was an intellectual elite, but he could also write at a level where people like me could understand. So he just had, he was incredibly gifted. Well, at the, at the height of his career, and he's teaching at Harvard, and he's doing all these things, and he's being asked to go do all of these, this important work all over the world. Henry was, he was conflicted because... At that same time frame, he, he met uh, someone who would, he would befriend by the name of Adam. Now, Adam was someone who was challenged in many ways, and you're going to hear about the many challenges that he had. But, uh, but Henry Nouwen, he moved from Harvard to a community called Daybreak near Toronto in order to take care of and do the demanding chores that were required to care for Adam. Adam. Adam was 25, but he had the, the mind of a child. And his, his body was not well. So imagine, if you will, you have Henry Nouwen, who's, who's ministering to intellectuals, and he's, he's writing books, and he's being asked to go all over the world. And now he steps down from his seat at Harvard to then go to this place called Daybreak near Toronto, Canada. And this is what it, it said when somebody asked him, he says, well, tell me about Tell me about Adam. You know, why, why is it that you feel compelled to go to be with Adam and leave all these other things aside, or set all these other things aside? He explained Adam in this way. He said, Adam is a 25-year-old man who cannot speak, cannot dress or undress himself. He cannot walk alone. He cannot eat without much help. He does not cry or laugh. Only occasionally does he make eye contact. His back is distorted. His arm and leg movements are twisted. He suffers from severe epilepsy, and despite heavy medication, without, or he sees few days without grand mal seizures. Sometimes, as he grows suddenly rigid, he utters a howling groan, is how Henry Nouwen explains this 25-year-old man's behavior. And he says, on a few occasions, I've even seen a big tear roll down his cheeks. He explains further, well, it takes me about an hour and a half to, to wake Adam up, give him medication, carry him to the bath, wash him, shave him, cl uh, clean his teeth, dress him, and walk him to the kitchen and give him his breakfast, and then put him in his wheelchair, and then bring him to the place where he spends most of his days getting uh, therapeutic exercises. Someone uh, pressed him further, and they said, well, that, that's fine, but... but don't you think that you would actually have more value to the kingdom of God if you were 
doing what you were doing before because your messages and your writings, they would just be broadcast throughout the nation. He says, and now to just step down from where you were and to do these menial tasks. So when he was asked about it, Henry said this. He says, I didn't give up anything. He says, it is I, not Adam, who gets the main benefit of our friendship. Then now and continued, he says, the hours spent with Adam, he said, have given me so much inner peace, so fulfilling that it it makes most of his other more high-minded tasks seem boring and superficial by contrast. He says, early on, I would sit by by this helpless child man, and he says that I realized how marked with rivalry and competition I was, how obsessive and how my drive for success in academia and in Christian ministry had become. And he said this, and this will be on the screen. He says, Adam taught me that what makes us human is not our mind, but our heart. Not our ability to think, but our ability to connect our humanity to another. Such a sobering thought, isn't it? Of someone who, who saw himself being so caught up in, in Christian ministry success and being asked to go all over the world and authoring books of now read by millions of people. And now he steps down from that to experience something in such a, a tangible and merciful way. You see, mercy is something that you don't learn from a textbook. Mercy is something that you learn from life. Mercy is a display of this. If you have uh, an info card, it's this. Taking notes. Mercy is a display of care and concern and empathy for another person. It's, it's three very simple things. It's care and concern and empathy for another person. You don't learn that in a lecture. You don't learn that just by reading a book. You don't learn that by listening to a sermon. You learn that by doing it, by offering care and concern and empathy for other people. That got heavy really quick, so I want to give you an illustration in a different way that maybe we can connect with because the story of, of Henry Nowen and Adam that, that and all of that is so amazing, and we, we, we seem maybe sometimes so separated from that. So I want to give you something that's real life. Here recently, we have been doing a lot of driving. I feel like we have spent about equal time in St. Louis or going through St. Louis than what we have in Taylorville. It just kind of feels that way. We've been doing a lot of driving. So if, if any of you have driven on the interstate or been in a car on the interstate, uh, you'll have understood and be able to comprehend what I'm um, going to illustrate with this. So say, for instance, you're driving down the interstate, and traffic slows in front of you, but yet you see cars zooming by, but you know on the horizon, you know that, the, the, that you're stopped. So you just get in line and you stop, but then you see the people in the other lane where they're just zipping in front of you to do what? Get in front of you, to cut in front of you, right? Who's been here before? You know what I'm talking about. Who gets frustrated by what these people are doing? Can we be honest? Yeah, it's frustrating. So we have some options in this moment, right? We have some options. The first option we have is when we're sitting there, we could, as they're going by, we could just nudge our car out into their lane, maybe give them the pit maneuver, and they'd spin around. Everything's well. You just keep driving. No big deal. You learned your lesson. Would there be any mercy there? Somebody tell me. No. No, there's no mercy there. We could, we could just like squeeze our steering wheel and just be so frustrated at these people as they go by, right? We can do that. Uh, what can we also do? We can, 
We, we can just maybe, you know, see them edging toward us, right? So now, now you saw the person zoom by, and yet you're so proud of the fact that now they're equal with you. They're not getting ahead of you, and now you are in such a power position. You can either let them in or not let them in. So just as the moment they go to get in, you can keep your eyes forward and just drive like you don't even see them. Sorry. Maybe, maybe there's a, a trucker behind here, but you get no mercy from me, right? We could do that. Or what could we do? What is the merciful thing to do? Somebody tell me. Oh, seriously? Come on. We have to do that. That would be the merciful thing, wouldn't it? It's like you let them in. You, you slow down long enough, and you're like, okay. And then you stop, and then you wave. You look toward them. Maybe you give them a kind gesture. Fake a smile if you have to. You give them a wave and let them know, hey, I'm a human being. You're a human being. I care for you. Get in line in front of me even maybe sometimes if we don't want that to happen. That's a tangible way, right? That's mercy or no mercy. What we're going to see in our passage today in Matthew 9 is we're going to see Jesus' response in a merciful way. But what unlocks the mercy of Jesus, of course, is Jesus' love, but also Jesus is responding to something inside of them that then unlocks the mercy that allows them to go from being invisible people to being visible people. Please open your Bible up to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse 27. Don't have a lot of verses we're going to read through here, but um, I have some supporting verses, so just in case you think we're getting off easy with four verses, <laughs> we're not. There's more. So Matthew 9, 27 through 31 says this, As Jesus went on from there, he had just performed a miracle. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they replied, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. Is what was the case a lot of times when Jesus would perform a miracle, people just wanted to go blab about it. They were excited about it. Even if Jesus said not to, they did. And the reason why, and, and maybe you're like me, you look at that and you're like, well, why wouldn't you want people to know? Like, why wouldn't Jesus want... Like everybody to know, because the time had yet not come for everyone to realize that he was the Messiah. That's why. That, that's ultimately why. So these two blind men, I have to be really careful not to say two blind mice, by the way. It's, it's just, just being true to the story. Like in my mind, I even, when I said men a minute, a minute ago, I was thinking mice. I'm just, uh, just confession time. So these two blind men, they're calling out to Jesus, and that Greek word is the word krezo, and it means to cry out, call, or shout. So don't think that this is some tame, like, hey, Jesus, he's shouting. They're shouting. They're calling out to him. It's like, no matter where they are, whoever's around, he's like calling out. He's trying to, they're like, hey, 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 Jesus, do you see us? Do you see us? You see, sometimes the most invisible person in the room has to call out to Jesus to be seen, to be made visible. Sometimes 
when we have infirmities and we have things going on inside of us, the way that, that, that we can feel the most visible is by bringing those things to bear in front of God. So in some ways, we have to bring our infirmity, our pain, and then we vocalize it, and then God makes us visible so we're not stuck in our pain and infirmity. Are you tracking with me so far? These two blind men, they're calling out, they're crezoing Jesus. And notice what they said about Jesus. This becomes so important of understanding, again, the, the, the messianic reference. I'm going to dig into this in a minute, but this is so important. Notice the title that they call Jesus. They call him the son of David. They said in verse 27, have mercy on us, son of David. And you may just casually read over that and be like, oh, that's kind of neat. Like, what does that have to do with? What that has to do with is a prophecy that was talked about in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13. And this prophecy in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13 is an interesting one. Because like so many prophecies in the Old Testament, there's what they call a near and a far fulfillment. Here's what I mean. When there would be a prophecy that would be a, that there would be some fulfillment of that, something would happen in the near future, and then something else they could expect in the far future. That's what's going on here in, in 2 Samuel 7, because there's a near fulfillment that would happen through King Solomon, but the far fulfillment is in Jesus. So when he says that the son of man, or these two men are calling out, have mercy on us, son of, excuse me, son of David, Jesus would know, oh, they believe something about me already, and this is what they would believe. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13 says this, when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants. This is talking to David, about David, and also Solomon and Jesus. I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. Again, a near and a far fulfillment. One talking about David's son Solomon, which we could go into the Old Testament and dig into this, but also there's a far fulfillment that's happening within Jesus, and these two men recognize something about Jesus by calling out to him this, son of David. Blindness, as you see, the, the infirmity, the ailment these two men had was very common in the ancient Near East. It was common because uh, the, the, the glaring sun and the heat of the sun, there was no, I mean, they just couldn't throw on some Ray-Bans, you know what I mean? Like, like it just couldn't do anything. So they just couldn't throw on sunglasses. They couldn't go to Dollar General and buy some $5 glasses that they're going to lose tomorrow. Whose story is that? Keep your hands down. It's fine. I know. Some of you. I get it. And reading glasses too. I understand. Been there, done that. But it's like they couldn't just throw on glasses. And because of the, the sun would just beat down on their eyes, there had no, they had no way to protect their eyes. So blindness was very common. They also didn't understand hygiene of your eyes. Hygiene was an issue in that culture. It's, it's a primitive culture. So now they didn't have a way for for them to care for their eyes. And then on top of that, which I'm so thankful that doesn't exist here, but in that part of the, of the world, in Palestine and in Israel, they had these flies. They were known as clouds of flies. Somebody say, ooh. 
Apparently you like flies. I expect a little bit more. But it's like they would have these flies, and these flies would then become infested in people's eyes. Now you want to say, ooh, don't you? It's gross. I see it on your face. It's, it's disgusting. So all this to say blindness was an issue in their culture of which there was no remedy. There was, a, there was not a whole lot of care that, that could be offered to help them. As a matter of fact, blindness was is such a, a peculiar thing in the Old Testament as this. There are no miracles of giving sight to people in the Old Testament. None. None. There are no miracles of people receiving sight in this way outside of the Gospels in the New Testament. None. Now, some of you are like, yeah, well, what about, what about Saul? Turn to Paul. Yeah, it really wasn't blindness. He had scales over his eyes, and the scales were lifted. It's different. And if you want to look that up for yourself, you can. It's in Acts 9. You're welcome. I'm a giver. <laughs> also, if you want to dig deeper into this, there's some interesting things I found. Maybe if you kind of like, you kind of nerd out on the Bible like I do, there's some different references of, uh, of seeing God's activity connected with giving sight. And you could go into Exodus 4.11 and see some of that. You could also go into Psalm 146.8. To see some of that. And also the, the messianic significance of this could be found in Isaiah 29.18, Isaiah 35.5, or Isaiah 42.7. And it may be a more familiar passage I'll read to you now that talks about this. And this comes by way of Luke 4.18. And, and Luke is actually echoing something that was said in Isaiah 61 talking about this giving of sight and how the Messiah, Jesus, would be one who would be giving sight to the blind. This is what it says in Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. This would have so much significance. Again, there was no healing of blind people in the Old Testament. And yet now Jesus himself in Luke 4 is saying that 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 prophecy in Isaiah 61 was about me. It's about me. He claiming the authority that is his and only his. Maybe you've seen this so far, but when these men are, these two blind men are, they're they're following Jesus and they call out to him, "Have, have mercy on us. Son of David, you see that when Jesus heals them, you see that mercy is not an emotion, but it's a practical response to a need. Mercy is is not an emotion, but but a practical response to need. So for us to actually be merciful, it takes more than just feeling something. It means we have to do something. This is one of the reasons why we as a church have mercy ministries. We have in-reach coordinators, and we have outreach coordinators, and we have dinner season with love, which just had a great event a couple weeks ago at Easter. We also have missions for Taylorville. Again, these are mercy ministries, not for us to just feel something, but for us to do something. 
for us to step up and to serve people who, who need our care, who need our concern, and who need our empathy, who, who need us to do something practically to meet a need. This is the reason why we do these things as a church. It's the reason why we have in-reach and outreach coordinators and, and dinner season with love. Is, that's the reason why we partner with them. And Susie and her team do a fantastic job. I was so blown away, specifically with dinner season with love. Uh, Susie had asked me to come in and do the devotion, which was kind of a madhouse because you have like older people who have a really hard time hearing, and then you have babies who don't want to hear anything um, other than themselves. So we're in the gym, and the gym is packed full, and it was great, and I gave the devotion. I prayed and all that, and I yelled. I'm like, I was like, hey, I got a dad voice. I'm going to use it. I'm yelling, and, and it was great, and I just loved being there. And then after that, I stayed for a couple of minutes, and it, what, what really caught my eye, and I really appreciate our mayor for this, I noticed that, that Mayor Barry would, was literally, he just picked up uh, a box that had just a bunch of juice boxes in it, and he's going table to table to table to just care for these kids. And I thought, wow, what, a, what an amazing thing. I mean, he's a busy guy. He's got a lot of things that he could be doing. But he's here, and he's serving. He's offering mercy. That's a care ministry. He's meeting a need. And it inspired me. I stayed for a little while, and then I saw that he, he was kind of, in that moment, he's kind of overwhelmed. So I was like, hey, how about I take the box? And then I walked alongside him, and we started passing out drinks. And I thought, wow, this is a really cool thing. And that, that's noteworthy. But we, we have other ministries, too, that offer mercy. But this is the reason why we do these things. Not to just have something on our calendar, but to create opportunities for us to serve others, to offer mercy. You know, I had a, a very, a very um, it's a humbling opportunity, I'll say, talking about mercy. Years ago, uh, some friends of ours had asked me to officiate their wedding. That wasn't a surprise. We, you have that in this line of work. Um, but it was a wedding in Philadelphia in the middle of the winter. And we lived in Georgia. Like we, had, like we were so, we'd been in the South for a long time. So they asked us, uh, asked me to officiate the wedding. And I said, sure, brought the whole family. And it was an amazing time. We absolutely froze. We didn't have, like, winter gear. It was terrible. My daughter didn't have socks on. I mean, it was bad. It was a bad deal. We go sightseeing. We're all around Philadelphia, and it was just, it was so, so cold. I mean, we saw the Rocky Steps, and it was amazing. We were up there, you know, Rocky Balboa stood up on top of the steps. I'm pretty sure I, I eked my son out. I beat him getting up the steps. I'm not really sure, but I'm telling the story, so I'm sure I did. And so that was great, and we saw all the sights. We had, you know... Philly cheese steaks. Didn't think they were a big deal, by the way. Didn't think they were that big of a deal, just being honest. Uh, we also got to see this big, beautiful cathedral. I love old churches. Um, anytime I would go somewhere in the world, when I was in the Navy, I would try and go into an old church. Just amazing. It's just amazing architectural and just a beauty in these places. So we go check out this, this cathedral, and everything's great. And, and then um, all of that happened. And then... Um, my daughter at the time, she was an amateur photographer. She had a camera bag, and she was taking pictures of stuff, and it was neat. She had all the lenses. Everything's great. So we're standing outside this cathedral. We're freezing, and, and then it just, 
dawns on me, I don't remember the exact sequence here. My family could, could correct me on this, and perhaps they will later. But uh, I, I, all I know is I remember that, hey, we don't have the camera bag. And it's a big deal because it represents hundreds of dollars. And I'm cheap, so it's a big deal. So the camera bag's gone. I realize that it is actually on the, on the bus that we just got off of. And now we're standing outside a cathedral, freezing every part of us off. And now I have this frantic moment to where we're standing there as a family. And I realize the bus is just leaving with the camera bag. Okay. In that moment, I'm not going to lie, I looked around and I was like, so who's going to run the bus down? Like, uh, and then I'm looking around and then guess who everybody else is looking at? Me. So I was like, I guess it's me. So then I'm running like a madman, freezing everything off, and I'm running in winter, as winter clothes as I can get, trying to chase down this bus, and that bus is just taking off. It's like it's just moving, and I'm running, 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 and it's super cold. I think it was in the 20s or 30s. I mean, my lungs are burning. I'm like, I, I, I can't even talk at this point, and I get up to the bus, and then, I, and then the bus driver sees me, and he's like, he waves me off. I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to run you down. He stops at the intersection. I was like, here's a prime opportunity. I pull up next to him. He looks at me, and he's like, no, no, no. He's like, no, no, no. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah. So he takes off and I take off and he's like, I don't know what he's thinking, but I know what I'm thinking. All of a sudden he pulls off on, onto the shoulder. He opens the door and he says, I'm not supposed to do this. And I, I, I mutter a thank you. I run to the back of the bus. I get the camera bag and then I get off of the bus and I tell him, thank you. You see, he was merciful when he didn't have to be. He could have just took off because he actually had to break the rules to allow me to get on the bus because he stopped in a place that he shouldn't have, that he could have gotten in trouble, but yet he broke the rules to be merciful. Oh, church, we need to sometimes break our own little man-made rules to offer mercy to other people. Sometimes we need to step beyond what we previously think or maybe our previous experience. Maybe step past who we see and blaming someone for the condition they're in to just say, no, I'm going to be like Jesus here. I'm going to move past this and I'm just going to offer mercy where there needs to be mercy. In this passage, I could go on and on and on and I could, I could talk about how God is so well known for His mercy. I could share with you from Exodus 34, 6 and 7, a reference to Jesus' mercy. I will share from you, or for you rather, from Psalm 103, 8. This says something about just the, the mercy of God and how amazing God is. It says, the, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Say amen to that. That's a good one. Um, in, in Joel 2, it says this about God and God is saying this to the prophet Joel. He says, turn to me now while there's time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. That should sound familiar. And it says, he is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of a curse. 
In Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says this, again, so clear in a, in a passage maybe we're more familiar with. It says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in, in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. It is by grace that you've been saved from a God who's so rich in mercy. The word rich, it means exactly what you think it would mean. It means wealthy. It means abundant. It means opulent. It means overflowing in that way. Aren't you glad that we serve a God of abundance? Aren't you so glad that we don't serve a God of, of just... He just doesn't just dole out just a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. He's a God of abundance, and he wants to just give it, and he wants to give it, and he wants to give it. Out of just the, the richness of his love, he just wants that mercy to flow over us. We can gain the mercy of God the same way that these two men did in our original passage. It says in verse 28, when he had gone indoors, here's an interesting note about gone indoors. Some of your translations actually better translate it to say, enter the house. Somebody say, enter the house. Enter the house actually means, most scholars believe that Jesus was inviting these two men into his house. Into his house. So the translation I read from in the NIV actually says it not as well as as perhaps the ESV or the NASB, the other translations more word for word, of saying that, that he had entered the house. So entering Jesus' house, the way that we possess mercy is the same way they did. Jesus says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And notice their response, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and he said, this, he says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Notice that it doesn't say, according to your faith, it will be done for you. It's done to you. So Jesus offers mercy to these two blind men. Because that's just who Jesus is, and that's just what Jesus does. But he does it according to their faith. I believe this wholeheartedly. I, I believe that many of us haven't received the true mercy of God is because we haven't asked for it by faith. I believe some of us, the reason why we, we haven't really possessed all that God has for us is because we haven't asked for it by faith. We're still living in our faith and we're asking God to bless our lives instead of giving our lives over to the King of kings and Lord of lords to make much of our life. Instead, we sit on the other side and we want to make much of our own life, but we want God to bless our plans instead of committing our plans to Him. Here's the thing I can guarantee you. When I'm just living my life for me and I'm living my life for my plans, my plans don't always allow me to be merciful when I do need to be merciful. But if I'm committing my plans and my way to the Lord and I'm living my life for Jesus Christ, He's going to present to me people and opportunities for me to have care and concern and empathy for another human being. 
Church, if we're, gonna, if we're going to turn this world around, if we're going to really glorify God with, our, with our, our bodies and with our minds and with our actions, with our hands and our feet, it's going to require us to step out to help make other people who are invisible to become visible by offering them the mercy of God. Because mercy makes the invisible visible. Jesus broke the rules. Jesus has a long storied history of going beyond even justice. I want to end with this story. I don't know if this story is true, but if it's not true, just consider this an allegory. One night in 1935, the mayor of New York, last name of LaGuardia, of which the airport, one of the airports in New York is LaGuardia Airport, named after the same guy. As the story goes, he showed up in night court in one of the poorest wards of the city. He dismissed the judge for the evening. And there was a case involving an elderly woman, and this elderly woman was caught stealing bread just to feed her grandchildren. LaGuardia said to her, he says, well, I have to punish you because you, you stole. So he says, it's either $10 or 10 days in jail. The choice was $10. LaGuardia himself, as the story goes, he pays $10 himself. He pays, he pays the woman's debt. He gives the $10. But then, amazingly enough, he finds everybody in the courtroom 50 cents each. And he fined everyone in the courtroom because he said something very similar to this. He says, I'm fining you 50 cents each because apparently we live in a city where a grandmother has to go steal bread to feed her grandchildren and there's not other people to help meet that need. So we find the rest of the people 50 cents each. Her debt was paid by the mayor of New York City and she walked away with $47.50. Isn't that something that God does? That he says, hey, there's justice required. There's justice required for us because we're all sinners. We're all born into sin. We're all sons and daughters of Adam. Sin entered the world through Adam, but also life entered the world through Jesus Christ. So all of us were in the same boat where we, we require, there has to be justice for us in our sinful state. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's justice required for that sin. There's a debt that needs to be paid. But it's just like Jesus to say, yes, I know that that debt needs to be paid. But Jesus paid our debt on the cross. The God who's so rich in mercy, so rich in care and concern for his people. Would you stand with me?
I love the simplicity of the passage that we looked at today. Because these two blind men, they'd asked for mercy. Jesus, knowing full well that they believed because they call him son of David, trusting that he was the Messiah, there was something special and significant about Jesus, and they knew it. And then Jesus asked them if they believed, and they said, yes, we do. Would the same be said about you? This morning, is your belief really in Jesus, or are you just asking Jesus just to bless your plans? Or maybe you're the type of person where where you're someone who you want mercy, but yet you so easily give justice. To where the thing that you go to is you just want people to have justice, 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 but yet you want mercy. As we stand and now as we sing, I want you to reflect upon whatever it is that God's whispering in your ear right now. And I want you to respond in the way that that God wants you to respond. Maybe you're someone that you've been so bent on just giving justice, justice, justice to other people who've wronged you, and you have not allowed the mercy of God to flow through you. This may be a time for you to respond and come forward. If you're someone who who you now just in this moment, you realize, oh my goodness, there's there's a debt that needs to be paid because I'm a sinner. And maybe now in this moment, you're starting to spiritually recognize. Your eyes are starting to be open, no more blinded to the truth. But now the truth is, Jesus died for you to pay your sin debt. Maybe you just need to come and respond because you've had a bad week. Maybe somebody cut you off in traffic and you said some mean things about them and and it's just been nagging. It could be something so simple and it's so true as that. But whatever it is, come forward. There are people who love to, to pray with you. The altar ministry is such a valuable time. like to pray and see what God would do. Father, we just come to you today. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for being so rich in mercy, so abounding in love, so slow to get angry, so compassionate. I thank you, Jesus, for always taking the invisible person and making them visible by offering your mercy.